Before I start to speak, we're going to just have the readings and uh, hopefully they will also come up behind me here. But if not, uh, they are in the Church Bibles, page 492, and then turning the page to 494. So, I, Nehemiah chapter 9. And I'm going to be reading the first three verses, and then chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading verses uh, 28 and 29. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust in their heads. Those of Israel descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession, in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. And now chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. The people of the Lord, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Now, before I start to speak, eh, you might want to keep a copy of the church bible open at page 492 an irishman went to confession in his church lots of irishmen need confession forgive me father he said during world war ii i had someone in hiding my attic well that's not a sin said the priest I know that, said the man, but I made him pay rent. That's not at all proper, but your lives were at risk. You're forgiven, said the priest. Thank you, Father. But may I ask another question? Of course you can. Do you think I should tell him the war's over? Well, sorry for my poor joke. Uh, confession is a serious thing. Uh, you're all here in this building this morning. If I asked you why you came to this building, and Debs this morning said, you, you're here together to worship God, and we're here together to fellowship, but we also this morning said an act of confession before we really started to worship God. And when you read these chapters of Nehemiah, written 
maybe 2,600 years ago, you begin to see, again, two absolute truths. Number one, we don't change. People, despite all the progress, are remarkably the same today as they were 2,600 years ago. And secondly, an even greater truth. A truth that burns through this Advent season and should burn even more true because all of us are so privileged to have seen the greatest revelation of God, Jesus Christ. And the truth in Scripture that's contained in these two chapters of Nehemiah is simply this. God does not change. He is the same. And the great news proclaimed in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, confession. If we could have the first slide, please. Hey, you should see three quotations there. Number one, confession of errors is like a broom which sweeps away the dirt and leaves the surface brighter and clearer. I feel stronger for confession. Said by someone who wasn't a Christian, Mahatma Gandhi, one of the great nation builders of India. But, you know, there's something in all human beings that needs sometimes to confess. Hey, I remember growing up, there were uh, magazines, True Confessions. For those of you who like reality TV programs, Big Brother. And one of my favorites, I'll come back to it, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You know, very often, the people on them, guards drop, and they start telling each other things, uh, confessing. And, you know, there's something in all human beings, sometimes not always good, that likes to hear people confess. But there's good, too. I was very privileged. Uh, I was in the British military, but to spend two years in South Africa from 1997 to 1999, after the awful sin of apartheid had been abolished, during what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And it was a time when uh, people who were former enemies were encouraged to publicly confess wrongdoings and to seek forgiveness. There was a bit of Christian input, but the process wasn't Christian per se. What it did do, though, it helped unite a very divided nation. It had a huge impact. It did for many, not for all, but for many, bring healing and the chance to move on together. 
confession at its best can do that. For Christians, it should be even more. And the second quotation there from Pope John Paul II brings in God. It's an act of honesty and courage, an act of entrusting ourselves beyond sin to the mercy of a loving and forgiving God. And we need God's forgiveness. Confession, most times, is part of that process of bringing us back into a full relationship with God. The third quotation by a man called St. Augustine, in failing to confess, Lord, I would only hide you from myself, not myself from you. You see, when we confess to God, we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know about us. He already knows us. He already knows what we've done. God wants to confess, not for his benefit, but for ours. The Bible says this about confession. Next, please, guys. Two quotations, uh, and you will see there. Psalm 32, Old Testament, David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgive the guilt of my sin. And the New Testament, in the letter of John, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Christian confession, in it is complied that when we confess, we are truly sorry that we want to turn away from the wrong in our lives and to leave it behind us, not to repeat it. And it also, for a Christian, means we know we're not going to be able to do that. We need to rely on that great hope, the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, if we have turned to Christ, truly, we are forgiven. Don't doubt it. Even when we fail, he has forgiven us. Slide three, please. Okay, that's what it says in Paul's letter to the Romans. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin has no more power over Christians. We may sin again, but we have been forgiven. We need to come back and seek God's forgiveness. And we can do it again and again and again. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Peter says, how many times do I forgive? Jesus says 77. He doesn't mean 77. It's an illustration that it is limitless. 
God's forgiveness, we truly come to him, truly mean it, and turn to Christ is limitless. He will keep forgiving because that's who God is. What we've got to do to truly confess is first of all, recognize. Next slide, please. We've got to recognize that we have done wrong. That's hard sometimes. You know, I love the message translation of Scripture, and it has a phrase in it when it talks about the Lord's Prayer. And we say, uh, to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The message translation says this, save us from ourselves and from the evil one. Save us from ourselves. We have a great capacity to deceive ourselves. We make excuses, you see, when we do wrong. I do. I know that definitely. And we need to be honest with ourselves and recognize it and come before God to say we're sorry. We need to regularly confront our failures and seek his help in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to recharge, but with a certainty that Christ has already won the victory. We're free from the power and penalty of sin. And if we keep coming before Christ when we do wrong, we are forgiven. Let's just have a slightly closer look at these two chapters of Nehemiah. It says in the verses I read that the Israelites gathered together and they clearly were sorry. They were fasting and wearing sackcloth. If you'd been here last week, you would have heard Dan tell us that they had heard the law. And these few verses that I read again says the law was read to them. The law that's contained in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, we have it in our Bible. And they could tell, we haven't obeyed this. We need to do wrong. God convicted them. And one of the things about reading scripture, if you read it regularly, and I encourage you to, is that you will be convicted at some times that, hey, God's tapping you in the shoulder and saying, I'm not doing what God wants. And that's the time to confess and ask for his forgiveness. Just a quick comment. Israel came together as a nation. Now, Israel was a special nation. It was holy. Wasn't it better than anybody else? Wasn't. But God wanted them to be a shining light. He wanted them to be holy. You know, that responsibility if you're a Christian, is yours and mine today. Next slide, please. Okay. This is what it says in Peter, 1 Peter. You and me are a chosen people, a royal place priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You may that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received it. 
that's you if you even if you don't recognize it if you're a christian that's you and that's me and believe me lots of people don't recognize me lots of times but god does that's what we're called to be holy 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 next slide please If we recognize sin, already told, already said, we need to confess and repent. And these people, they are already dressed that way. Sackcloth and ashes, a sign of mourning in their day. They were really prepared to change. Uh, it says too that they separated themselves from uh, foreigners. Now, God isn't a racist God. You've got to understand the time that these people lived when the surrounding nations were not holy and they had carried out practices that were very definitely anti-God. God had warned them before about separating themselves and they had not obeyed and things had happened. Earlier on in the Bible, if you read the first book of Kings, you'll read about the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. Except, you see, in one respect, he wasn't so wise. He took foreign wives who seduced him into worshipping other gods, not the one true God. And that had an effect on the nation, and it brought them away from God. And God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be careful he wants us to make sure we stay holy. God loves foreigners. Uh, if you read the same book of the law that these people had read, uh, you will also read that uh, it says this, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. God's not a racial God. He's a Holy God. They continued to read from the book of the law, these people who gathered, and they confessed and they worshipped. They stood. Hey, I'm not going to keep you much more than three or four minutes, but I wonder if you were asked to stand for the entire service. Not everybody could. I'm quite sure not all of the Israelites could either. But for most people, they stood. They were sorry. They really were sorry. And they confessed their sin and the sin of their fathers. If you read the rest of chapter 9, it's a history lesson about what their nation had been like, this holy nation. And, and it's the same for us. We don't change. There had been times when they had been faithful and blessed and times when they'd turned their back on God. That's true for me. That's why we need to come back and confess. The people recognized that. You know, if you read on in chapter 9, you'll read these wonderful words in verse 18 and 19. In fact, I got it wrong. Sorry. Verses 17 and 18. 
The, the people refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in rebellion appointed a leader to return to slavery. But you, this is God, are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. The same God then, the same God today when we sin, he will welcome us back with open arms and not desert us. Because that's who God is. They confessed the sins of their fathers. You know, sometimes we are bound because of our personal history, our personal family history, kind of effects on us. Our national history can have effects on us. Hey, by my accent, you recognize I'm not an Englishman. I'm a Northern Irishman. And believe me, I know the sins of our fathers can affect not just people individually, but nations. But we don't have to be that way. Next, please. Okay. This is the Archbishop of Canterbury repenting in 2006 for the sin of slavery. And he says, to speak of repentance and apology is not words alone. It's part of our witness to the gospel. To a world that needs to hear, the past must be faced and healed. It can't be ignored. By doing so, we're discharging our responsibility to preach good news. Not simply to look backwards in embarrassment, but to speak of the freedom we're given to face ourselves, including the unacceptable regions of our history. Christ sets you free. Next, please. Believe that. You don't have to repeat the sins of your fathers. Because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. We need to remember so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. And we need to trust in Christ. Next, please. Finally, we need to commit and take action. And that's the transition into chapter 10. And again, read chapter 10 in your own time. Some of it will seem strange because it applies in its specifics to a particular time, but in general, it applies to us. Next, please. And there are four things that these people committed themselves to. To live godly relationships. To choose to live in relationships that honor God and would keep them holy. To honor God with their time. To make time for God. To worship him. Their worldview, it tells you in chapter 10 that they kept what's called the Sabbath year of Jubilee. Every seven years, they would not work the land and they would cancel everybody's debts. Everybody's debts. And they would give the land rest 
Hey, in these days of climate change and green ecology, we kind of need maybe to get back to what God was saying thousands of years ago. He doesn't change. We don't change. We still forget. But these people promised to honor God and how they treated his creation and resource. They were prepared to give the best of their income, their money. Before they did anything else, they were prepared to give and honor God in that. And, and we should be too. If you're a Christian, we should be honoring God in our relationships, in our time, in our worldview, and in our resource. And finally, please just remember, in all I've said, the really good news. Next and last one, please. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The people in Nehemiah didn't know Christ. We do. That should make the greatest difference. And Jesus does what he says he will do. The sins of your fathers, your past individual sins and mine, don't matter now. We don't have to repeat them. Because if the Son sets you free, you are free. Claim it. Walk in it. Jesus does what he says he will do. Amen. We're now going to ask the band to come. And we're just going to remember the price Jesus paid to free us in the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. <laughs>